Alexei Fyodorovich Karamazov was the third son of Fyodor Pavlovich Karamazov, a landowner well-known in our district in his own day and still remembered among us owing to his gloomy and tragic death, which happened 13 years ago and which I shall describe in its proper place. This is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz, and you're listening to the After Dinner Scholar podcast from Wyoming Catholic College. The portion I quoted is the beginning of Fyodor Dostoevsky's last and arguably his greatest novel, The Brothers Karamazov. Recounting the story of Fyodor Karamazov and his three sons, Alexei, or Alyosha, Ivan, and Dmitri, Dostoevsky addresses suffering, the existence of God, good and evil, crime and punishment, holiness. Dr. Tiffany Schubert and our Wyoming Catholic College seniors have just finished reading the book, and I asked Dr. Schubert to begin by telling us about Fyodor and his sons. So Fyodor Pavlovich is one of the worst fathers in literature. He <laughs> has his children by different mothers. He forgets about his children, which is as soon as they are born. He's obsessed with money. He's obsessed uh, with, with young women and said not at all interested in his, in his sons, of, of which he has three legitimate sons and then possibly a fourth illegitimate son. His oldest son, Dmitri Karamazov, is from his first wife. And Dmitri is a passionate, poetic young man who spent some time in the military and has come home. And because of, because of who his mother is, is the only son of Theodorus who actually expects to come into some, some kind of property and inheritance. And he and his father are, are in conflict over that. They're also in conflict over the same woman. They are both in love with the same woman. So the primary, the primary sources of action in Brothers Karamazov kind of stem from Dmitri and Fyodor's conflict over Grushenka. The next son is Ivan Karamazov, and Ivan is the intellectual. Ivan has had education. He's been at university. He's a writer as well. He he writes observations about things that he's seeing in Moscow. But he also writes poems or stories. Uh, there's an uh, an imaginative dimension to Ivan. And then Alyosha, the youngest son. Alyosha and Ivan are both f- uh, f- from the same mother. And Alyosha is the spiritual brother. He is, when we meet him, when the, when the novel opens, he's, he's in a monastery as a novitiate, considering right, joining monastic life permanently. That's not what happens to him as the novel proceeds, but he has a spiritual sensitivity and depth that his other brothers don't seem to possess. Or certainly for them, it's a much more tumultuous kind of spiritual life um, than it is for Alyosha. Well, at one point, Alyosha is called the lover of mankind, which is a very Eastern Orthodox Byzantine name for Jesus. Why, why does he get sing- How does he get singled out in this way? So at the very beginning, Brothers Karamazov, Dostoevsky calls Alyosha his, his hero. And he, he, he says that he's a strange hero. Uh, he's a strange hero not, not because he's odd in a, in a kind of idiosyncratic way, but because he doesn't fit into the 
the way the society is is going right into kind of contemporary social modes. He says that Alyosha contains within him the heart of the whole. And as we move forward in the novel, we start to see kind of the the wholeness of Alyosha, which is he has this ability to enter into other people's pain and joy in a way that very few characters do. So he can wholly embrace them. Uh, He's the one to whom characters confess their deepest, darkest secrets, uh, or the deepest longings of their hearts are all all, uh, given to Alyosha. So there's a a wholeness in Alyosha that, that allows him to love. And even Alyosha, though, as Christological as he is, and we're certainly meant to see see that this capacity, right, to love all in Alyosha. Even Alyosha has to has to learn to embrace and see and recognize the fact that he is a Karamazov, that he is a part of his family, and he goes through his own journey of of you know, disillusionment and disappointment. And he, he falls uh, here, I suppose. This is very Christological. He falls to the ground and rises up. Uh, just as he calls us, says that he rises up as a steadfast fighter for the rest of his life. So we see Alyosha enact that the Christological uh, love for all, and then also this Christological death that leads to right, resurrection. Well, he starts out, he's at a monastery the disciple of Elder Zosima, who is renowned for his holiness, at least by some people. Tell us about uh, Elder Zosima and his place in the novel. So Fyodor Pavlovich, as I said, is one of the worst fathers in all of literature. Father Zosima is one of the one of the best fathers, even though he's not, a, of course, right, a biological father. So in some ways, the novel asks us to consider whether or not either we will be right, the children of Fyodor or will be the children of, of Zosima. And Fyodor is a neglectful father. He is a sensualist. Uh, he's a money grubber. He's a Karamazov. Father, father Zosima is a man who is capable of perceiving the the depths of the human soul. He can read people, actually can read Fyodor Pavlovich. There's a very important scene where Fyodor Pavlovich comes to the monastery and Father Zosima looks at him and tells him, stop lying. He says, stop lying to yourself. Lying to oneself is the path toward destruction. So he has this ability to see and perceive the truth of things. And he has this incredible uh, ability to, to love. And now Zosima himself is has a, has a backstory as well. He was a, you know, a, a bit of a wild youth. It, he had a, a moment of conversion, an encounter with his own sinfulness that also comes out of a deep love that he had for his, for his older brother. So for Zosima, really what's central to his understanding of the world is this, the importance of memory. You remember the good, uh, remember those moments of beauty, of tenderness, of love, that can have this salvific, regenerative effect. And then the other aspect for Zosima, right, that's really central to the Zosimian vision in the novel, is this each is responsible for each. 
And Zosima means that every person is guilty before every other person. We all sort of have in, in ways, whether through omission or commission, contributed to the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of others. And we have to acknowledge that brokenness and our, our role in that brokenness. And, and once we do that, then in fact, we are actually able to love others and to love, to love everyone. There's a, a universal community of love that Zosima's vision is trying to establish. So we've got the sort of isolated selfishness of Fyodor as father. And then we have this universal guilt and universal love of Zosima. Well, as much as Alyosha wants to stay in the monastery, um, Father Zosima doesn't let him. He says, you've got to leave. Why does Alyosha need to leave and live in the world rather than in the cloister? Alyosha, we learn fairly early on, is something of an idealist. He believes that entering into the monastery is the quickest, most effective way to escape from darkness into light. He also has this idea that this sacrifice of entering in the monastery will sort of be this grand gesture, uh, and he'll, right, he'll make the sort of the, the grand, the grand movement there, and after that, everything will be, everything will be right. So there's an idealism in Alyosha, and the monastery seems to be the place where he can most fulfill that, this dream, this vision. He's even idealistic, actually, about Zosima himself. He thinks that Zosima's death uh, and the what he thinks will be the kind of right, miraculous preservation of his body after his death will initiate some transformation in the monastery and establish uh, this new kind of community. So all of this idealism in Alyosha actually prevents him from, from seeing reality rightly. So that right, being sent out into the world is Alyosha being pushed out of kind of naive idealism and into uh, at times pretty right devastating and heartbreaking and repulsive encounter with with the brokenness of the world, with the way things actually are. And that he's he's going to have to see that to bring darkness to light is a project uh, that one kind of simple grand act is not going to, in fact, right, actually be sufficient. And that what's involved in, the, in that movement into the light is this slow and gradual and painstaking active love, which is deeply woven into Zosima's vision as well. It's in order to love well, you can't just love people in the abstract, but we must love them particularly and concretely. So Alyosha has to be sent out into the world to love the broken, messy people that he finds. Beginning with his own family who are deeply and profoundly broken. But part of that love, especially for his own family, something he was kind of said earlier that he has to see or recognize, acknowledge, admit his own Karamazovian nature. And in order, in order to love his brothers well, in order to be a part of their journey into the light, he has to see that he too has this, these impulses towards sensualism, towards violence, towards uh, doubt, 
that he, like them, is just as implicated right, in, in all of this human mess. But he's able, he's able to accept that in himself and in others and not judge it in others, uh, not condemn it in others, but to respond to it in love. And that's an, ex- that's an extraordinary ability to be able to, to see with clarity the brokenness, the vileness, or the baseness of the world, and simultaneously to respond with love. I've heard and I've read repeatedly that The Brothers Karamazov is one of, if not the greatest, Christian novel ever written. In what way is it distinctively Christian? What makes it, what makes it a great Christian novel? At the very beginning of the book, there's an epithet. It's from the Gospel of John. It's the scriptural verse about the grain of wheat that must fall in order to bear fruit. If it doesn't fall and die, it remains alone and isolated. But if it does fall, it produces fruit. And Dostoevsky takes that incredibly Christian idea and weaves it deeply into the structure of the novel. And the novel itself, uh, as, an, as an art form, is, is so very often concerned with moving from, say, right, confusion and illusion to clarity, or at least or kind, of, kind of right seeing. You think of something like, say, Don Quixote, where he moves from the, the illusion of chivalric romances to the very end where he renounces those chivalric romances. Dostoevsky, though, takes... That, that pattern there and sees that this is a, a deeply Christian right, idea. You, know, you must, must die in some way to be reborn. And the characters have to die in so many ways. You know, they have to die to their notions, their false notions of themselves. They have to die to the lies that they have been telling themselves. They have to do the Zosima thing where they acknowledge their own guilt. And in doing that, uh, the, the new life and the fruit that follows is, is, is very much hinted at, say, right, or maybe only hinted at at times in the novel. We don't see a lot of it. It's a, it's a very dark novel in, in so many ways, but we see that fruit that comes in, in very small glimpses. And it's a, a fruit that is a participation in resurrection. It's, it's the resurrection of the self on this earth, the resurrection of kind of goodness that has been covered over by evil. And the very end of the novel, we actually get the hope of the final of the resurrection as being an answer to the, right, so much of the brokenness right, and the death that has, that has followed. Of course, it's also a Christian novel right, because they explicitly... Dostoevsky is engaging with the questions of God's existence, the questions, maybe even more fundamentally than God's existence, the question of God's justice. The, the age-old question of how can a good God allow evil is something that is haunting so many of the characters in Brothers Karamazov, especially Yvonne Karamazov. And Yvonne has a very famous moment where he, he shares a, a story that he's created, The Grand Inquisitor. And, and, and so much of that, what is behind that story is Yvonne's refusal right, to accept the world that God has created because he, he doubts the goodness of God. 
And so that, that, that question haunts the novel, right? Is, is God good? Can God, can God be trusted? And the action in, say, the role of Alyosha being sent out of the monastery into the world is really, we have, we have to see all of that is happening right in the context of that question being asked. And all of that is a response to that question, trying to show us who God is, right? To show us a kind of demonstration, not a logical demonstration, um, but a narrative storytelling demonstration of God's love, of, of love itself, of love in action. On his blog, Brandon Monk writes, quote, to read Brothers Karamazov is to engage in an analysis of one's own beliefs about religion, both as an institution and as a spiritual force for creating a happy, loving life, close quote. That sounds to me wonderfully Lenten. Depending on the edition of Brothers Karamazov, it's about 880 pages. Well, divide that by 40 days of Lent, and you can read the whole book at a rate of a mere 22 pages a day. Something to consider if you're still undecided about spiritual reading during this season. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz.